message from Valley Bible Fellowship. It is our sincere prayer that you're richly blessed through the ministry of the Word. For more information about VBF, visit our website at vbf.org. Now, here's Pastor Ron Bietti. Everybody doing? I had the sniffles last week and I thought I need to be responsible, not go. What if I just happen to have Omicron? I don't know. But whatever, I try to protect you guys, see? Love you guys. Well, we're back today and we're going to Dig right back in. You might want to take some notes. You might want to have something handy. But let's just get her going, okay? Let's pray this right here. Father God, thank you for all those people watching on the internet. God, they had a lot of choices today, and they've chosen to watch this broadcast. So we want to tell those people out on the internet that we appreciate them. We love them. Thank you for all these people here today. Guide and lead us as we speak your truth. In Jesus' name, everybody say amen. amen. You know, we live in a very exciting time. We could very well be the chosen last generation. I think we are. The chosen generation to be alive at the return of Jesus Christ. Now, I know for many that's such a crazy idea that Jesus would come back to this earth. I know, because we live in this proton, neutron, electron world, I know that's difficult to wrap your head around, and it sounds foreign to many, but it's one of the central themes of the Bible. It's central. I mean, that's crazy. Let me begin today by looking at three more real brief reasons why I think we are that last generation. And these will be three real brief ones, and I'm going to get into something heavy. Have your notes ready. Look at Matthew 24, 22. It says, if those days, speaking of the last days, had not been cut short, no one would survive. But for the sake of the elect, those days will be shortened. Now, this statement could not have been true 100 years ago. It could only be true in this age. I mean, 100 years ago, we didn't have the threat of wiping each other out with bayonets and muskets and cannons and cavalry troops. We couldn't wipe the whole world out that way. But today, what do we have? The nuclear bomb threat. And tensions are mounting. I mean, at any moment, somebody set off one of these bombs, and then we retaliate with one. We, could, we have the capability of destroying this whole world. And then the United States has to watch out for an EMP attack, electromagnetic pulse attack. Look at this article that I got off the internet this week. This is June 25th, 2020. China has first strike capability to melt the United States power grid with electromagnetic pulse weapon. If they did that, our power grid would go out, our laptops wouldn't work, our cell phones wouldn't work, quite possibly our cars and trucks wouldn't go, uh, the components on our vehicles, they, they, they probably wouldn't work. Uh, more than likely, our hospital diagnostic machines, they wouldn't work. I mean, this is crazy. The whole world could be destroyed at any moment if God didn't shorten the days. Now, we know that in some limited 
capacity, nuclear bombs are probably going to be used, or at least chemical weapons will be used in this last war of Ezekiel 37, 38, or, or I should say the next to the last war. Armageddon will be the last one. But in Ezekiel 37, 38, and 39, it talks about Israel coming home, about this last war. And it says that after the war is over, they're going to have to have professional barriers. And they're going to have to professionally, they're going to have to use probably gloves and outfits to bury the dead, which probably speaks of some kind of nuclear or chemical warfare. It even says in that text that if, if a person should pass by after the war and find one of these dead bodies, don't touch it. Just set up a grave marker and the professionals will come by and bury the body. Let's look at another verse, Daniel 12 and 4. But as for you, Daniel, conceal these words and seal up the book until the end time. Many will go back and forth and knowledge will increase. Have you been to LAX or any big airport lately in the last two or three years? Everybody coming and going. It's like Grand Central Station and the invention of the computer. I mean, knowledge is at our fingertips. I mean, that verse is right on. I said this some time ago, I'll repeat it because I was telling someone the other day. I was talking to somebody the other day about how I've raised a lot of chickens. I've had a lot of chickens in my life. And the conversation went back to when I was up at the ranch one day and I had a 15-year-old kid up there, and he started lecturing me, uh, me on how to raise chickens. And he was telling me everything about chickens. And I finally said, man, were you raised on a chicken farm? He said, no, I Google. <laughs> ah, I should have known. Look at Matthew 24, 14. The gospel of the kingdom, this gospel of the kingdom, shall be preached in the whole world as a testimony to all the nations and then the end will come. We're reaching the whole world through computer today, through social media. Joel Rosenberg, in one of his last books, he wrote that there's revival going on in the Middle East. He says there's a church of several thousand even in Egypt. Again, I believe this is a sign of the Lord coming back. The gospel started in the Middle East, has done a whole 360, and it's back in the Middle East again. I looked up this week, interesting. Syria. When we think of Syria, we think, you know, the enemy of Israel, whatever, and, and it is. But Syria has approximately 600,000 Christians. Lebanon, almost 40% of their population is Christians. Jordan has approximately 130,000 Christians. Egypt, approximately 400,000 Christians. Iraq has approximately 500,000 Christians. And according to Joel Rosenberg and a lot of other people, people are being saved in the Middle East rapidly by having dreams about Jesus. He's appearing to them in dreams. He's coming to them in visions. I told you some time ago, a friend of mine in the city, a very, very good medical doctor who's of another persuasion, religion, came into my office a few years ago. He said, I've got to see you, Pastor Ron. He said, I've had a dream of Jesus, and he told me the dream, and I led him to the Lord in my office. The Lord says, hey, if the Christians won't spread the gospel, I will. And so, I'm telling you, it's happening. And then where I want to get to, but I haven't got there yet, I, I don't know what I'll do after today, but in 2 Timothy 3, 1 through 5, we're given the characteristics of the people in the last generation. It says, in the last days... 
this will be some of the characteristics of the ungodly population. And it gives us 19 characteristics of the last generation. And I want to teach on that at some point because if these 19 characteristics would be the, the way the generation was going to go in the last days, then we have to be on guard that we don't conform to that, right? But it says things like, in the last days, people will be lovers of themselves. They'll have self-love. They'll be self-absorbed. I mean, how many times in this world do we see people go out and do things on a regular basis for other people, not even thinking of themselves? It says they'll be lovers of money. It says they'll be brutal. Oh, my goodness. This one characteristic is starting to describe our generation. Brutal. Just brutal. Look at this article I pulled out uh, just a few months ago. California Republicans' COVID death mocked by pro-vaxxers on social media. This beautiful young lady died of COVID, and they're mocking her, saying she should have died. They're making fun of her because they're pro-vaxxers, and she wasn't. And I, I could give you all kinds of articles like that. Our society is plumb brutal today. I mean, just a while back, that Miss America girl came out, and this was a few years back, and she stumbled over the question they asked her. And she made a fool out of herself. And people took that and threw that all over the internet and laughed and laughed and laughed. How brutal can you be? The girl probably really felt bad about that. But this is a brutal society. It's calloused. Cancel culture. We live in cancel culture. We saw that with a homeless shelter down the street. We had made a comment that we wanted it to be smaller than what they wanted it. The newspaper and the media said, Pastor Ron of VBF hates homeless, basically. And, and we got black, and people canceled us. And it broke my heart because I saw people that had followed us for years. We, we did their funerals for them, did their weddings for them, and they turned on us because of a report that they read that wasn't true. By the way, I'm on their board down there now. I'm working with them. We're working with them. And they're irreconcilable, and, and, and they're quarrelsome. And, and then the last description in that passage, and boy, if this doesn't describe America today, I don't know what does. So they'll hold to a form of godliness, but they'll deny the dunamis power of the gospel. That describes our nation. Now, today we're going to look at a very interesting story in Daniel chapter 2. King Nebuchadnezzar has a dream. And so he calls in his magicians, his conjurers, his sorcerers, his Chaldeans. He called all the wise men in and said, hey, I want you to do something for me. I had a dream and it disturbed me and it's, it's really, really got my attention and I'm bugged by it. And I want you to tell me what I dreamed and then give me the interpretation. And they said, man, tell us the dream, we'll give you interpretation. No, no, no. He said, you're going to tell me what I dreamed, and you're going to give me the interpretation. Because see, in verse 9 of that chapter, it seems to indicate that King Nebuchadnezzar lost his trust for these, these magic men. For some reason, he thought they were starting to con him. I mean, you know, any crazy person could come up with an interpretation for a dream. So he's starting to doubt them, and he said, no, you're going to tell me what I dreamed. I'm going to see if you're the real deal or not. You say you have all these magical powers and you do all this stuff. I'll see if you're the real deal or not. Tell me what I dreamed and then interpret it. And then I'll know if your interpretation is right on. They said, we can't do that. 
They said, there's no man on the earth that can do that. Only the gods can do that. Well, he said, here's the deal. If you don't do it, I'm going to tear every one of you from limb to limb and destroy your house. But if you can do it, you're going to get this major, big, crazy reward. So he let them try. They couldn't do it. And so he sent Arioch, the captain of his bodyguards, to round them all up. And I'm going to tear them from limb to limb. I'm going to destroy their homes. I'm going to do just what I said. They're all fake anyway. Why do I need fake magicians and conjurers and sorcerers and Chaldeans around me? Now, Daniel was somehow connected to this group. I'm not sure how. But when Arioch, the, 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 the captain of the bodyguard, came to round him up, he went to get Daniel too. And so he gets Daniel. Let's pick that text up in Daniel 2, verse 15. And Daniel said to Arioch, the king's commander, for what reason is the decree from the king so urgent? I guess he wasn't around when all this news came out. Then Arioch informed Daniel about the matter. So Daniel went in and requested of the king that he would give him time in order that he might declare the interpretation to the king. Then Daniel went to his house and informed his friends, this is Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego by their other names, he informed them about the matter so that they might request compassion from the God of heaven concerning this mystery. Now notice this, I, I love the Bible. He's, he got his guys together, see he believed in prayer. You know, and I believe in prayer. When I'm going through something, the first thing I do is I call 15 people that I trust or 12 and pray for me because I believe the prayers of God's people will be answered. Please keep the verse up. Please keep the verse up. I'm, I'm just kind of stopping right there. So they might request compassion from the God of heaven, okay? And so he's smart. He says, let's pray. Now notice he isn't a name it, claim it guy going in and saying, you know what? I'm God's kid, man. I can do this. You see the humility here? He's, guys, let's pray that we might request compassion from the God of heaven concerning this mystery so that Daniel and his friends would not be destroyed with the rest of the wise men of Babylon. Now let's continue in verse 19. Then the mystery was revealed to Daniel in a night vision. That's when God speaks to me at night, I'm telling you. Then Daniel blessed the God of the heavens. Therefore Daniel went to Arioch, whom the king had appointed to destroy the wise men of Babylon, he went and spoke to him as follows. Don't destroy the wise men of Babylon. Take me into the king's presence, and I'll declare the interpretation to the king. And Arioch was excited. It said he hurriedly brought Daniel into the king's presence and spoke to him as follows. I have found a man, king. I found a man among the exiles from Judah who can make the interpretation known to the king. The king said to Daniel, whose name was Belteshazzar, are you able to make known to me the dream which I have seen and its interpretation? Daniel answered before the king and said, as for the mystery about which the king has inquired, neither wise men, conjurers, magicians, or diviners were able to declare it to the king. However, there's a God in heaven who reveals mysteries. Don't you love that? And he has made it known to King Nebuchadnezzar, what will take place in the what? In the what? Say it loud. In the latter days, this was your dream and the visions in your mind while on your bed. He looks to the king. He's, you saw this huge statue. And his head was made of gold. 
Its breast and its arms were silver, its belly and thighs were bronze, its legs were iron, and the feet were both iron and clay. Now, on in Daniel, this is important, take notes. Going on in Daniel, they aden- Daniel identifies the first three nations. The head of gold, he said, is you, you, King Nebuchadnezzar. That's the kingdom of Babylon. But he said, after the kingdom of Babylon will come another kingdom of the Medes and the Persians. They, 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 they rule together. And they'll overtake the Babylonian kingdom. After that comes the belly and thighs. There will come this other kingdom of bronze, the Greeks, and the Greeks will overtake the Medos and the Persians. And then after that, there will come a fourth kingdom, the legs of iron. And in Daniel, they don't identify that kingdom. They identify the Babylonians, the Medes, the Persians, and they identify the Greeks. But they don't identify that kingdom. Now, we have thought for years it was Rome. I'm not so sure that's the right answer. And then the feet are both iron and clay. In other words, this is important to see. The feet aren't really going to get along, but they will come together for the sake of some certain reason. Now, keep that in mind, what I just said. Now, history confirms that this was exactly the way it came out. This proves the Bible just like Two weeks ago, we talked about the 70 weeks of Daniel. I mean, it, how could the Bible predict this hundreds of years before it happened? It, it predicts it to the T. After the Babylonians came the Medes and Persians, after the Medes and Persians came the Greeks. It, it, it followed, it happened. You say, Rob, don't you know that chapter 2 and verse 4 in Daniel to chapter 7 and 28 was written in Aramaic, not Hebrew? The rest of the book is written in Hebrew. Don't you know that? That means this was added later, probably added later. All these skeptics are trying for everything, aren't they? They don't know that Job used this tactic. So did Ezra. They used this style of writing. This isn't anything just, just common to the book of Daniel. But it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter at all. I mean, even if it was put in a few years later, Daniel still had the dream during this time, during this era, hundreds of years before it happened, and if you take that out, you don't believe in the Bible. This was a miracle indeed, that he could see this, these future kingdoms that would rule the world before it even happened. Now, I want to draw your attention to a couple things here. Number one, we know that Daniel goes on and confirms who these first three kingdoms were. Babylonians, the Medes and the Persians, and the Greeks. But the legs, we don't know. We don't know. It doesn't say for sure. Now, most Bible teachers through the years, including me, we taught that it was Rome. It's a no-brainer. It was Rome. The Roman Empire was ruled for several hundred years, and so the Romans came after the Greeks. They defeated the Greeks. It has to be the Romans. Now, I'll show you a picture on the screen of the way we've taught it for years. We taught the kingdoms represented. You got the head of the gold, Babylonians, the breast and arms of silver, the Medes and Persians, the belly and thighs, uh, brass, Macedon, uh, the Greeks. And, and this, this did follow. Then the legs of irons, we said, was the Roman Empire, but we had no, no proof of that. And the feet and toes of clay, that was going to be a revised Roman Empire. And that's what we taught. Chuck Smith taught it. John Corson taught it. I believe Hal Lindsey taught it. 
And we even went further going, you know where the headquarters of the European Common Market is? It's in Brussels, Belgium. And they have a big uh, four-story computer there called the Beast. And, and it's got the name and, of every person in the world. And it's going to give out the mark of the Beast. And we really got into it. I was listening to Chuck Smith the other day and teaching back in the 70s. And he was saying, we're there. We're there. The European Common, common Market. That's going to be the ten toes. Now, the European Common Market was established in 1957, and it was established originally with six members. France, West Germany, Italy, Netherlands, Belgium, and Luxembourg. And so when I started teaching prophecy in 1973, in the 70s, I started really getting into prophecy. When I was teaching prophecy, the European Common Market had gained three more countries. The United Kingdom, Denmark, and Ireland. Ta-da! I'm teaching Bible prophecy. I put the, the diagram up of the statue and the ten toes. We now have nine nations in the European common market. We only like one more. We've got the ten toes of Daniel too. Woo, we're there. And I heard Greece was coming in, and I go, that's the tenth nation. And Greece came in, and I waited for the Lord to return. And then Portugal came in. And then Spain came in. Then they changed the name of the European Common Market to the European Union. And then others came in. Today we have 27 nations there. Duh. There goes my idea. Now there are several popular opinions today about who these ten toes are. Number one, some people believe the legs are still Rome, but you've got to consider something. Rome never occupied the same geographical locations that Babylonia did. And that the Medes and Persians did and the Greeks did. They were more west. They didn't occupy those same regions. Very interesting. But still, some people think that Rome was the legs. And it's possible. I'm not going to say for sure. But if that's true, then the ten toes, maybe they're not in power yet today. And that doesn't make a lot of sense to me. If we're living in the last days, I think those ten toes might should be in power today. Some believe that the ten most powerful nations in the world, they're ruling today, so they're the ten toes. And they have nothing to do with Rome, but it doesn't have to be associated. And I, I counted out ten, and I went to the Internet, and it agreed with me 100%. It'd be United States, Russia, China, France, South Korea, United Kingdom, Germany, Japan, Saudi Arabia, and Israel. You say, well, those are the ten most powerful nations in the world today, so those could be the ten toes, and so we're already there. But I preached this almost 15 years ago, and I raised some eyebrows then. People thought, you're crazy. And I'm not saying it's the truth, but I preached it, and I'm going to come back to it because I, I looked around today, a lot of theologians are starting to agree with what I preached 15 years ago. I just, I just thought it up 15 years ago, but they're starting to agree with it. And that is, maybe the legs don't represent Rome at all. Maybe it's the Islamic caliphates who ruled that part of the world for hundreds and hundreds of years during the Middle Ages. Maybe that was the fourth power. Now, that brings up three very interesting things. Number one is, Rome, as I said, never ruled over those geographical locations, but the Islamic caliphate did. Those caliphates, there were several of them, they did rule over those identical same regions. Number two, this is for you to look up at home. It just so happens in Psalms 83, there are mentioned 10 nations that hates Israel. They're all Arab nations. And it mentions they're going to try to go to war with Israel. They're going to try to destroy Israel. You read Psalms 83 and, and then listen to what 
Iran's been saying and, and some of the other nations for years that they want to wipe Israel off the face of the earth. It's right there in Psalms 83. Ten nations, Arab nations, are mentioned. Number three, the Antichrist, we're told, is going to rule over these last ten nations. He's going to rule over them. Now, who is this Antichrist? He's going to have to be popular with both the Jews and the Arabs and the Muslims. Now, some have speculated, and it's interesting, that the Antichrist is going to be half Jew and half Arab. Now, when you consider that the Jews take their ancestry from the mother's side, the Arabs take their ancestry from the father's side. What if this guy would be half Jew and half Arab? I mean, wouldn't that put him in a prime position to go into the Holy Land and say, I'm going to rebuild the temple and I'm going to make Jerusalem 50-50. You're each going to share it. I mean, he would speak for both sides. Who would have that kind of influence with both the Jews and the Muslims? Now, keep in mind that we can't equate Muslims with Arabs. Don't get confused there. Most Arabs are Muslims, but only 20% of Muslims are Arabs. Muslims are all over the world, Indonesia, India, Bangladesh, North Africa. A very small percentage are Arab people. And then also remember, let's don't think of us versus them, the good guys versus the bad guys. Because very often we see Syria and Israel into it. We go, Syria's the bad guys and Israel's the good guys, which might be true. But we got a lot of brothers and sisters in Syria. We have a lot of brothers and sisters in Egypt. We got a lot of brothers and sisters in Iraq. They're our family. They're going to live with us for eternity. But if those ten toes are an offshoot of the Islamic caliphate, which was the legs of iron, then we're there. Because I was thinking for years, I kept preaching that when I believed that it was the Roman Empire, and I thought, man, these ten countries aren't here. They're not here. This doesn't make sense. So the Lord's return must be some time away. But now if it is either the ten most powerful nations in the world or the ten Arab countries in the Middle East. Now remember, prophecy in the Bible is always seen from Israel's perspective. And over there, those nations around them, they're running the show. They got the oil. They have the power. So any way you look at it, we are there. Plus, you got to consider, where was ancient Babylon at in Iraq? In Iraq. And the Roman Empire never really geographically controlled all of that area. And so it's very interesting. Any way you look at it, if the ten toes are the ten Arab countries in power today, then we're there. We're not waiting for much more. If those ten toes are are ten of the world forces in in the day, uh, the big countries and powers, then we're there. Any way you look at it, we're there. And I believe that those ten nations have to be empowered today Because we're near the end. And remember again, that once these things start, it'll be like birth pangs. And it's going to get faster and faster and faster and faster. We're going home. We're going home. And it's going to be soon. Now, let's look real quickly at 1 Thessalonians 4, 13 through 18. While you're turning there, if you have your Bibles, turn. But again, I I will say to you what I said two weeks ago. The Bible says that in that day, There will be two people grinding at the meal. One will be taken, one will be left. 
There'll be two men in the fields. One will be taken, one will be left. Now let's look at 1 Corinthians 4, 13 through 18. Paul says, we do not want you to be uninformed, brethren, about those who are asleep so that you will not grieve as do the rest who have no hope. For if we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so God will bring with him those who have fallen asleep in Jesus. For this we say to you by the word of the Lord, that we who are alive and remain until the coming of the Lord will not precede those who have fallen asleep. For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of an archangel, with the trumpet of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first. Then we who are alive and remain will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. So we shall always be with the Lord. Therefore, comfort one another with these words. Now let's look at this word comfort in the Greek. It means this idea of the Lord coming back should invoke us to certain things. It should call us to certain things. It should put certain desires in our heart, and it should encourage us. Now, I want to leave you with five things, and the first one is this. Our bodies have to be changed. We live in earth suits. If I do your funeral, if you should so happen to die before me, when you lay in that casket, I'm going to tell everybody, this is just Betty's earth suit. This is just John's earth suit. He's alive with, with Jesus right now, but this is his earth suit. So our bodies have to be changed. Look at 1 Corinthians 15, 50 through 52. Now I say this, brethren, that flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God, nor does the perishable inherit the imperishable. Behold, I tell you a mystery. In other words, I'm telling you something I know you can't really understand now, but I'm telling you a mystery. We will not all sleep. But we all will be changed. In a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trumpet, for the trumpets will sound. Remember we're in the Feast of Trumpets? Remember that? The last trumpet, the trumpet will sound. And the dead will be raised imperishable. And we will be changed. Now, these bodies we have are earth suits. They're loners. We get to use them while we're on the earth. I've been telling God, because I've had a lot of health challenges through the years, and I said, God, this is your body. This is your earth suit. And as long as you want me ministering, you've got to continue to keep it well. Because when it breaks, that's your problem, not mine. I live forever. All of our bodies are breaking. Do you realize that? I didn't have to wear these things years ago. I can never understand why people would do this right here. Take a book and go, now I understand. I can never understand why old people walk like this. Now I understand. My body's slowly given out like a car with 200,000 miles on it. My spirit is strong. My flesh is weak. But just like astronauts, when they go into outer space, they have to have a different suit. When deep sea divers go away, they have to have a different suit. These earth suits are not adaptable to heaven. Now, 1 Corinthians 15, if we get time, who knows where we're going from here? I'm very impulsive. Who knows? But 1 Corinthians 15 tells the details about our bodies because the people asked Paul, they wrote him a letter and said, what's our new bodies going to be like? And he describes them in quite a bit of detail there. 
Number two, this whole idea of the rapture helps us in this way. We don't need to grieve like the world grieves. Ah, It says he will bring with them those who have died in Christ. Now, if their bodies are in the grave, they're not asleep in the grave. How could they be asleep in the grave and Jesus bringing them with him? To be absent from the bodies, to be present with the Lord. Paul said to die is gain. Now listen, what did Paul say? He said to die is gain. You're benefited when you die. Dying's better than living. In Philippians, he talked about it. What did he say? He said, man, he'd been to heaven and back. He already knew what was in heaven. He said, man, I have a decision to make. I know I need to be here with you, but I'd a lot rather be up there. He says, and he went through this whole thing, and then finally he says, well, I guess I'm going to stay here for you guys. It's crazy. We don't have to grieve as the world who has no hope. Now, that affects my emotional stability a lot. That affects my emotional health a lot. Just to know that when my loved ones die, I don't bury them, I plant them because they're coming back. To know that someday I'll see all of my loved ones who have died in Christ. I will see them again. I'll spend time with them for eternity. It blows my mind. So knowing that brings great comfort to us and gives us mental health on this earth. Number three, we should be motivated to share the gospel. Ah, listen to me. Jesus said it very well. Do you get it? Unless a person is born again, they shall never see the kingdom of heaven. We've got some work to do. Did you know, you little powerful creature sitting there today, did you know the power you possess? In Ephesians, Paul, so Paul prayed. He said, I pray that you'd open the eyes of their heart to see the power they possess. They're little powder kegs sitting there in the pews. You are. You're little You're little. Kegs of power, kegs, maybe that's not a good word. <laughs> your, your little body's filled with the dunamis power of Jesus. You can explode at any time. Did you know you have the ability to pray people into the kingdom of heaven? You have the ability to so much influence their decisions that they will have a hard time not giving themselves to God. If you will go to prayer or the altar every day and say, God, I take authority over the spirits who have blinded my loved one's mind. And today I curse the demons that's trying to get them. In Jesus' name. Today I pray you'll move influential people into their lives. I pray today that you would cause them to see their need for you. You put a divine desire in them to go to church with me. And God, I'm going to pray that every day until it happens. It's crazy. Absolutely crazy. Crazy. So it motivates us to share the gospel, number four. It should give us purpose on this earth. We should wake up with purpose and say, man, my gift in the church is to be a giver. And man, God, I'm going to make a extra overtime this week and I'm going to give it to the church so they can give it to the orphanage or wherever they need it. Man, it should have purpose. Everything that happens to us, we're looking for God in it. My wife will tell you, nothing happens in my life that I don't somehow go, I think this is connected to God, Debbie. You ought to hear, if you, if you lived with me, which I'm glad all of you don't, I, I love you, but I just couldn't work that out. You'd see, 
Debbie and I live a whole different way. I've said it very often, bless your hearts, to, to, to know normal, you have to see normal. We're tying God into everything that happens in our life, and we truly believe that it's him. Someone had asked me, and they might be watching today, but not asked me, but something had come up about what if other religions are right? What's the right way to God? And some people struggle with that. I, I just don't know. I don't want to get involved here because always lead to God, I think. And maybe the Muslims are right. Maybe the Mormons are right. Maybe the Catholics are right. Maybe this, this. And I say to them, do what I did. I just came to God. And when I came, I didn't know anything. I was naive. I said, God, I don't know if I'm supposed to be a, a Muslim or a Mormon or, or a Jehovah Witness. I don't know what I'm supposed to be. But I just want to know you, God. I just want to know you. And I gave my life to him, and I started praying, and he led me in this direction. God will lead you in the ways of the truth. Number five, because of the rapture, we have hope for the future. Ah, hope for the future. I know that someday my work here is going to be done when I'm 85. I'll come out and say goodbye to you guys. I'll take my green card out. I gave you a bunch of you green cards, oh, what, 10 or 15 years ago. Anybody still have them? Oh, a lot of you have your green cards. You say, what's your spiritual green card? It just says there, it says, Ron Vietti's allowed to stay on this earth until his job is done in the kingdom. And then he has to go home. His visa's up. And that's it. So I'm telling you, we are here on this earth with a purpose. And we have hope for our future. Jesus said, all those who live and believe in me shall never die. And he said, if they do die, they'll continue to live. And he said, do you believe this? And then all these near-death experiences, now a lot of them is not real. A lot of them are really phony as, as a $3 bill. I know that. But a lot of them probably are too. So we have all of these evidences that we're going to continue to live. Jesus said it. He's the first fruit of those who have died and resurrected. And, and so we have great hope for the future. Now, the clock says I'm through. I have a lot more to go, but the clock says I'm through. Uh, I know when I preach about Jesus coming back to this earth, Christians being raptured, the second coming of Christ, that's hard for a lot of people to wrap their heads around. And I understand that because we have nothing to compare it to. It's a crazy thought. But I'll tell you, it's going to happen regardless if you can wrap your head around it or not because the Bible says it's going to happen. And it's not just one time in the Bible. It's over and over and over and over again. Don't you know that the disciples of Jesus had their worldview changed? That day, when the dead crucified Jesus, appeared, came through the wall, and stood in the room where they were at. Don't you know their worldview has changed forever? Unbelievable. My worldview has changed forever. When I sat almost 40 years ago with a demon-possessed girl, and that demon started talking to me in her body, and I cast that demon out. My whole worldview has changed. I'm telling you, I'm telling you and telling you and telling you, all the signposts are pointing toward the sky. 
They're all pointing toward the second coming and the rapture of the saints. And if we're smart, we will take this seriously. And we'll start making sure our life is together. We'll start praying for the lost. We'll start finding ways to serve the Lord. So that when he comes back, and there's many different parables and stories we could relate in a sermon if we wanted. We could cover in a sermon if we wanted. But in one of them it says, make sure that when the Lord comes back, he finds you busy doing kingdom business. To those who are busy doing kingdom business, he'll say, job well done, my good and faithful servant. Enter into your master's joy. I got a lot more to say. Here's what we're going to do. I haven't covered who the restrainer was in Thessalonians. We haven't covered so many things. If you want to write in some questions about second coming, rapture, prophecy, if you will send them to Pastor Hector at, no, no. no. <laughs> send them to me, Pastor Ron at vbf.org, or send them via Facebook. And what we will do, if there's enough of them, we'll get up here and answer those in the next service. We'll answer them one by one by, if there's enough. If there's no questions, then we'll just get right back, maybe to our Bible study in Peter, and, and, and pick up where we left off at. So, did you learn something new today? We're there, gang, we're there. Father God, I thank you for this awesome congregation. And I thank you that we have the freedom to gather every week and listen as someone teaches and brings us the Word of God. I am so thankful that we still live in a free country today. But Lord, there's a lot of things happening to our country right now. A lot of things are happening to America. And it makes me to be very, very concerned about our future. Lord, we need to be praying for our governing authorities that they would would begin to understand your will for our country. So I have a lot of things I want to pray, a lot more things I want to say, and if I'm not careful, God, I'll start teaching again. So right now, I just ask you to speak to us in accordance to what we heard today. Tell us what you would have us to be doing in, in, in the light of the reality of your return. I thank you for that. We praise you in Jesus' name. Everybody say amen. If you don't know the Lord as your Savior, come on up here. You've got people to pray for you. God bless. See you here, there, or in the air. God bless you. Thank you for listening. We pray that this message has ministered to your heart. If you don't already have a church you call home, we invite you to join us at Valley Bible Fellowship for worship, Bible study, fellowship, and more. We're at 2300 East Brundage Lane in Bakersfield, California, near Mount Vernon and Freeway 58. Reach us by phone at 661-325-2251 or visit our website at vbf.org.